Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are things? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. The Lions is up and running. Ireland have a game this weekend in front of fans, albeit a, a small enough number. So, life is good. How are you? Yeah, things are things are good. Yeah, yeah. Going uh, um, on TV at the weekend? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, actually. So it was good to get in there into uh, into studio and have a good discussion around that game. It was great to watch it actually live. So, um, yeah, like I seem to watch like a good deal of my rugby on record. Uh, so being in studio watching it live was, was good fun. And um, yeah, enjoyed it. And I mean, I think it was, you know, fairly mixed start, um, but you'd, you'd expect that. It's a team coming together. Um you know, lots to work on. I expect them to get better and some of the some of the basics that were poor. Like I thought defensively, I kind of expect them to be a bit better defensively because it's the easiest thing to get sorted out. But um they'll definitely get better after the reviews. And there's so many quality guys there to come in. Um and once they get used to each other, I think they'd be very good. So yeah, it's um yeah, it, it's an interesting start. Obviously, the Conor Murray thing is gonna have uh, the 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 main bit of news or Alan depending on how you view it, Alan Wynn uh, out of the tour. Um and we're going to debate that with, with our guests later on. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly interesting to see how that plays out. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm not going to give up the we'll – we'll wait. We'll wait to discuss that. Well, I'm dying for that one. But uh, we'll, we'll, we, are, we yeah, will wait. We're going <laughs> to be joined in just a few minutes by big Jim Hamilton, former Scotland second row and host of the Rugby Pod, our uh, overseas rival. Um, no, we're kind of you know, obviously, friends. You know, I think you're doing, we're doing a kind of a, a partnership yeah, there. You were, Marcus, yeah. Look, they have a great product, haven't they? I mean, uh, Goody and him have a really nice relationship there, and they, uh, you know, it's it's uh, they've got you know, it's very professional at this stage now. I obviously went on a couple of weeks ago, so they they owed us a favor. So, um, yeah, good to get him on and get the view. And he, he's always very balanced. I mean, I think, uh, you know, having come from the Scottish kind of uh, Scottish background and obviously playing with Saris, I think he's got a, you know, he's got a good view of, of what's what's what. And he's always, a, you know, very, uh, very honest in his views and isn't afraid to kind of, you know, never really mince his words. So uh, great to hear what he thinks of the first Lions game. He was at the match as well, I think, um, either commentating or whatever. So um, I'm sure he'll have a, a good a good idea of how they played. So we'll discuss all that. But I mean, first of all, got to come to that uh, Japanese game. Um, yeah, from what you saw at the weekend again from Japan, like they moved the ball pretty well at times. So they did cause the Lions defensive problems. Do you think they can do the same to Ireland? Do you think Ireland might be under pressure? 
Yeah, I mean, like they haven't played rugby in in a, in is it, are there two years as well? Yeah, so I mean, like, World Cup was the last time. Yeah, like, and, and you have to say, if you looked at the Lions' tries, they were stinkers, weren't they? I mean, bar the Ty Burn one, which is you'd still think, like, you know, a skip pass to a forward in the middle of the pitch, you've got probably eight defenders. <laughs> you should probably pick it up. But still, leaving that aside, um, they did play some very good rugby. I think their defence will get better uh, for, for this week against Ireland. Uh, you, you know, some of the tries, I mean, the the Van der, uh, the, the Van der Mayer one. Is it Van, uh, Van, Van der Mayer? Van der Mayer, sorry. Um, and I think the uh, there was another one in the first half that were just walk-ins, you know, really... Uh, really soft tries um you know that was they were disappointing like i don't think you know regardless of where we think japan are i mean they were brilliant at home i think there will be a drop off away from home how much we wait and see but that was i think that looked like it was two years without having played an international together it was bad defense like really basic stuff so i expect them to be a little bit better at that and pose lots of challenges for ireland i mean there was times in that period in, in that game where you know, Jap- kind of Japanese handling and pace of play has been a real strength for them. And they outplayed Ireland, you know, very easily, I thought, in, in the World Cup. They can cause you problems and they won't make as many mistakes this week against an Irish team that hasn't played together for a while either. And there'll be, a, you know, a few new faces in there from from what we, you know, if you're listening to kind of the murmurings coming from camp, uh, could be a few interesting guys, you know, possibly for a couple of first cappers and that. So uh, it'll be a, tr- a tricky game. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully we get the weather. The weather's brilliant at the moment. So if that stays... That'll suit them. They play a really open brand of rugby. So, um, yeah, it'll be a tough game. Yeah, like, and even from an Irish perspective, some of the guys who might play, it will be very interesting to see Joey Carberry back in an Ireland jersey. You presume he might get the start this weekend, given it's himself, Harry Byrne and Billy Burns in the squad. Joey Carberry is fit. He's the, he's the senior guy out of the three. It, like himself, maybe Craig Casey partnering him. Like That'll be an interesting international combination. And it'd be good to see if Calvary can get a bank of, of game time over the next while and kind of force his way in when the bigger games come back next year. Yeah, uh, look, and I love Casey. I uh, really like the pace of play. I mean, he was a real standout for months, a real fine this year. Uh, and looks like he's coming into his own, plays with a lot of confidence. Carberry, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you, you know, is he the... Senior guy, he hasn't played that many times for Ireland in my mind. Um, well, more than Billy Burns and Harry Burns. Well, sorry, definitely more than Harry, but Billy eh, might be close ish. I don't know. Um, he's definitely been in more squads than Billy, and Billy is probably, you know, he had a challenging enough Six Nations. Um, so yeah, you're probably right. He probably is in the in the lead position there, and he seems, you know, he's, he's very well got. He's very well, he's a he is a lovely rugby player. Um, I'm not going to get into my views on where he should play, Will, because I can see you already. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but you, you finally oh, got to you say, on fire theory on national TV at the weekend, so that must have been a very proud moment for you. Yeah, sorry, what was that? The... You finally got to unveil your own final 10 12 theory on national TV at the weekend, uh, so that must have been yeah. like the highlight of your life. Uh, when I saw them teeing it up, I was, yeah, I was saying, yes, I'm licking my lips here for this <laughs> one. Um, but uh, yeah, look, Joey Carberry, you know, he, he in fairness, he actually, did, I thought he finished the season reasonably well with uh, with Munster, actually, uh, you know, had a bad final against Leinster, but then came back well in the rainbow. So, um, yeah, if he can carry that form through, there'll probably be a few changes around him, which might make it a little bit more challenging always for a 10. But he'll have that familiarity with Casey at nine. So maybe that, you know, mitigates that or offsets it. So. Um, very interesting to see. Well, I wish we had teams to maybe have a bit more, you know, a few more talking points. But um, you know, it, that it, look, it looks like that's probably the guys who will be selected. And I'm excited. I mean, they're an exciting pairing to watch. I mean, if they can get front football, I mean, you know, Joey has a great running threat. You know, you know, Casey's, um, you know, Casey's delivery is so quick and sharp. 
like he'd have that extra half a second on the ball. So maybe, he, you know, it, it could open up loads of opportunities for them. And, you know, as I said, the Japanese defence probably won't be as bad. But, if, you know, they play a pretty open brand of rugby. It could be leaky. It could be a very enjoyable game to watch. And, you know, Joey Carberry in open space with a bit of, uh, with a bit of time, he's great to watch. Yeah, and just lastly on the game before we, we, we move on to the Lions, and I know we did touch on this a couple of weeks ago, I think when Rudd was on, like how much are you going to be trying to glean from these two games, Japan and USA, and how much do you think Andy Farrell will be trying to glean from these games? Is it just a run out for some of the younger guys, or is there real tangible on-field benefits? I know it's good to blood these guys, but you know, how, how much stock are you going to put into these? Uh, look, not a huge amount. Um, look, I'd say, that, you know, it, it's very similar kind of to the Lions game on the weekend. Um, you know, I don't think you'll, like, unless you have an absolute stinker and look completely out of your depth, you know, I don't think you play yourself out of out of the squad here. I think this is an opportunity to blood a few guys, to show them the setup, get them in for a few weeks. Um, you know, there'll be a young contingent there. There'll be a, possibly one or two, you know, first cappers in the team, uh, alongside some more senior guys like Peter Mahoney's in there. Uh, you know, he'd be a good guy to, to have around to steady the ship if guys are nervous. Um, so I think there's a nice blend there. Um, there could be a few guys that maybe are on his radar if they play outstanding in the two games. He might say, well, do you know what? Maybe maybe he is a good. Maybe he is going to be competing with, uh, you know, one of my more established uh, guys. So we watch that space closely, Will. Um, and it certainly makes it very interesting and intriguing for us who are, uh, I suppose, we're probably the rugby mad portion. But uh, we'll probably know most of the guys out there, you know, reasonably well from having watched them. But for people who haven't seen them, there's some very exciting talent. Uh, that we don't often get to see. And I hope he picks a squad, you know, with that in mind so that we do get to see them and test them out uh, and see what they're made of. And can they step up to the level? Because it'll be a tricky contest against uh, against Japan, particularly defensively. Um, you know, I think they'll read, they, they do stress you. Uh, they, they got to a lot of good positions against the Lions and actually didn't throw the last pass, which was very unlike them. They were brilliant at that in the World Cup. They had great bravery um, and their handling was brilliant in, in that period. And I thought it wasn't good in the weekend. So I expect them to get better there. And I think they'll really test us out. So, um, yeah, very excited to see who he picks and, you know, who stands out or, you know, who doesn't look like they're, hopefully we don't see too many who aren't up to the level. Yeah, no, it should be a good game. Very exciting, given what we saw from Japan against the Lions. And now it's time to turn our attention to the Lions. And we're delighted to be joined by former Scotland second row and rugby pod co-host Jim Hamilton. Jim, how are you? Yes, very good, very good. I'd love the initial part to that to be British and Irish line included in the title, but it's not, unfortunately. Should have been, uh, could have been, my Uncle Hamish said, but um, like Warren Gatlin and the other coaches, they beg to differ. So, no, thanks for having me, lads. It's a real treat. Yeah, no, well, we have one British and Irish on the podcast, and he's certainly milking at this time of year. He's appearing everywhere, you know, harking back to his, uh, his, 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 his getting his eye gouged has made him the most famous person around this time of year. Of course, yeah. Now, that's why we had Lukey on our podcast, the Rugby Pod, of course. It is, you know, every four years, isn't it? And, you know, this is the romance around it. I, when we were chatting to Luke, we've chatted to other players. It's kind of like, it doesn't get old. It's not one of them things, not speaking out of turn. The, the 2003 lads have absolutely milked winning the World Cup for England. But I think that the Lions, every four years, I think there's a real romance and interest around it. So, no, it's, uh, it's class to be able to be on it this time round and obviously um it being back in South Africa as well there's loads to talk about yeah but look it's funny so this is your first South African tour so it's the first time like the, the anniversary of your one has come back into focus I think that's why you're getting so much calls <laughs> yeah it's not because I'm not interested or anything like that will uh or I've got uh you know 
any value to add. Um, yeah, look, it's it's great. Like as, as Jim kind of alluded to there, I mean, like they, they only come around once every four years, and then obviously, you know, this is twelve years since since the tour I was on. Um, and I think South Africa, if I'm being completely honest, I think it's the best place to tour. And uh, look, obviously, this is there's loads of challenges with this tour, and I'm sure we'll we'll cover or get a view from Jim on that stuff as well, but. Uh, it's still, to my mind, the toughest place to go and and uh, and win. Um, you know, even New Zealand struggled really for years and years to get a result out uh, out in South Africa. Now they regularly, you know, seem to be the team that does do reasonably well out there. But generally, I think it's a really tough place to go and tour. Um, and I think, you know, just while I'm disappointed for the lads, they won't get to see much of the country in that. Um, still envious of them going out to play South Africa. Like it's a serious uh, tour to, to get on. Um, and I'm sure they'll have great crack, even though they'll be in the bubble. Yeah, Jim, like there's so much to talk about. Obviously, the captaincy decision that Warren Gatlin made, the injury to Alan Jones, and the guys maybe playing their way into form against Japan. But, but firstly, kind of a talking point that's kind of emerged over the last couple of days. And I know Rory O'Connor, a guy we have on our show a lot, wrote about it over the weekend about kind of the tour itself. And, you know, given the COVID situation in South Africa, whether the line should even be going over there in any way. Like, what's your view on that? Obviously, you know, the Lions themselves will be in a bubble. The players themselves should be safe. But even the optics of playing while there's a lot of, you know, cases and hospitalizations and possibly deaths. Where do you weigh in on that? Yeah, so I think for me personally, um, I would love to see it delayed for a year. But who knows what it's going to be like in a year? You know what I mean? I think we've, we're all saying, oh, by the summer, everything's going to be OK. Um, and it's, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, is South Africa a third world country? I don't know whether they're officially a third world country, but, you know, we know that there's extreme poverty there. The healthcare isn't great for the majority of the population. Um, you see everything in place uh, for the lads to go in a bubble. And, it, you know, uh, it's one of them where we've kind of questioned what sport looks like during COVID. Anyone who's watched the, the Premiership uh, over here, it's been fantastic. So the level of rugby has been great. I think the, the back end of the season, we've started to see fans. And there's been this kind of going back and forward, whether the Lions would actually travel to South Africa or whether South Africa would come to the UK and Ireland or whether it was going to be in Dubai or Australia, all these things banded about. It seems the most unsafe option, if I'm completely honest, out of all of them. Uh, but I think there's a number of reasons, isn't there, you know, that I'm not privy to the information, TV rights, uh, commercial sponsors, how that kind of marries up with everything. And you're looking at everything unfold in South Africa at the minute. You know, is it a third wave? It seems like they're in the middle of something not great. You know, we've been through a couple of scenarios like that. But um, it was interesting. We, we had uh, Faf the Clerk on our podcast and we've had a couple of the South Africans uh, chatting and they've been home. Um, like, you know, last 12 months ago or whatever, a couple of mates who live in South Africa and live in the town, like nothing's happened over there. It's like, oh yeah, you know, it's not that bad. Whereas as we've seen now, obviously the cases are through the roof. So I think there's a real um, caution that has to be. And I'd be very surprised if we can get through this tour with no interruptions. Mm. Yeah, Luke, what's your view on it? Like, is it is it kind of, I've, Rory was kind of asking the question, is it like appropriate for the team to be there at the moment, I really don't know as the answer to that one. Um, I think, you know, obviously the optics over there of, I think you know, there's talk of kind of, you know, nearly 700 people a day dying over there. Like that's pretty grim, um, you know, and things aren't going, going to get too much better there. I just think, you know, with third world country, well, as Jim was saying, I'm not sure, are they a third world country? I know they're they're generally one of the kind of leading forces on the, on, on the African continent, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, a developed nation as such. And I think that means that, you know, vaccines and getting their hands on vaccines and distributing them, et cetera, 
that's pretty difficult out there. Um, at the same time, you know, sport can kind of be an uplifting factor. Like I heard people kind of comparing it to the apartheid era. I really don't think that's similar because I just don't see where we see an end to this as well. And it's a health, it's a health issue that's that's kind of affected the whole world. So I think it's probably not correct to compare it to that. Um, and I'm sure I don't really think that's appropriate. Um, but what I would say is, you know, sport can be great for people during these periods where you've got to stay in at home. Uh, you know, you've not much else to kind of talk about. Uh, it gives people a lift if the South African team are playing or if they're doing well. Um, and as well, they haven't had any rugby down there for two years. Like this team haven't played together in a very long time. The resources there are already stretched. It's pretty easy for us to say, you know, having had rugby appear to make a judgment on the South African Rugby Union trying to push this thing ahead. But our survival isn't on, on the line here, whereas theirs is. And that makes things pretty difficult for us, I think, to, to put them put ourselves in their shoes and, and make a call. Like if the Irish, if, if Irish rugby or if Scottish rugby or wherever any of the Northern Hemisphere rugby unions were under, and they are under severe pressure financially, but if there was, you know, an existential threat, that, you know, that's a difficult situation to be put in. And remember, both squads have all been vaccinated. So I think they're thinking if they're in bubbles, if they're all vaccinated, they're safe. If they're not going to be carrying different viruses out to the, you know, if they're not causing more danger to South African society, you know, is that then okay? Is this something that's good and positive that's happening during a very, very difficult period? I'd probably be leaning on that side, probably will. Yeah, I definitely would. Like Conor Murray was asked about it and he said, like, obviously, you know, he had diplomatic, he's the captain now saying that he's there, you know, he thinks they can put a smile on people's faces. Like the example I would draw with like Ireland back in January, like we had one of the biggest COVID spikes in the world across the entire pandemic. The Interpros went ahead across the entire month. That rescheduled Leinster Munster game, like that, that was a huge talking point. People really enjoyed it. The day of that Leinster Munster game, I have the numbers here. There was 1,900 people in hospital, 200 in the ICU and there were 50 deaths. Like that, that's astronomical for Ireland. But it was still a huge thing for that match to go ahead. It gave people something to talk about. I don't recall anyone having any issue with those games going ahead across January. They were actually a really good distraction for people. And um, so I'm strongly in favor of the tour going ahead. And I do agree. The Springboks in South Africa are probably the most popular entity there. I, I think that'll give a huge lift to people. Like it's the alternative just to cancel everything and just look at COVID numbers all day. I, I, I don't know what you, Jim, you think about sport. I, I think sport has a massive role to play and can play a big role, this Lions tour, in, you know, boosting that nation in a really tough time as well. No, absolutely. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in South Africa. Um, I've lived out there and played out there for a year. I've toured there. I've got a lot of South African mates. And I agree in that sense, you know, the power of sport and the power of Springboks in their own country and what they've done for society what they've done uh, for culture all these kind of positives that come out of it i think the thing is it's kind of here um with you know the uk and ireland we're very strict on numbers aren't we you know we're getting daily numbers of uh, of how many cases there are how many deaths there are where we are different strains i don't think in south africa you'll probably be getting the lay of the land as it is um but I think the desperation from their part to make it happen, like uh, Fitzy said, around the vaccination program, you know, the players flying from the UK uh, and France um, to get there. And, you know, I know th three or four of them, have, you know, had COVID in their system or whatever and have had to isolate. But again, going back to, you know, different parts of the season, look at the Six Nations, especially from Scotland perspective, you know, that win against England at Twickenham, there was no fans in the stadium. But what that did for Scottish rugby, what that did for the players, you know, what that did for the tournament. Um, and, you know, you saw them go to Paris in the, in the final game, the premiership final and semi-final over here as well, where, yes, there was fans in the stadium. 
Um, you look at the football as well this week, you know, if you're an English fan, it's, do you know what I mean? And I know there's fans in the stadium with that, but people at home watching it and people who live and breathe sport, it's a lot of people's identity, whether you play it or, or not, it gives you something to look forward to. And I think that has been the saving grace. It's been the saving grace in our household and many people's households where there is that kind of element of normality and something that you can build up to and look forward to at the weekend. Yeah, like, and I'm not massively naive. Obviously, there's huge commercial implications for this tour going ahead, but that doesn't mean there can't be another benefit to it going ahead, the one you alluded to there, in terms of giving people something to look forward to. Um, I suppose, you know, ultimately, it, like the tour, it looks like it is proceeding. I think once the rugby starts, I think a lot of this conversation will probably move on. Uh, and we might move on then, look to, to some of the other rugby stuff. Connor Murray, the, the, the captaincy selection was made at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. It's funny, I, I watched you on TV with the lads and you were discussed a lot of candidates. You probably had six or seven guys. Conor Murray wasn't mentioned. Uh, like, what were you as surprised as everybody else? Um, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre selection, um, particularly given you know Warren had done an interview uh, the week previous to the Japan game and had said that the whole squad had decided that Andy Farrell was the best leader. I think he'd even been picked ahead of Alan Wynne Jones. Alan Farrell. Oh, sorry, Alan Farrell. Did I, sorry, I meant Alan Farrell. Excuse me. Sorry, um, and. Um, I just found it then bizarre off the back of that, you know, having listened to the squad or got the squad's view on it, that then he, he decides to pick Connor. Now, what I would say is, like, I, I don't think many, the one other concern I have is that lots of other people didn't think Connor had been playing well, like like Shane Horgan uh, and uh, Matt Williams, who I was on the panel with. Neither of them were wholly convinced that Connor's form and that Connor was going to be starting in the test match, um, in the test matches. That's another concern. However, we're clearly not like I, I think that the, the coaches clearly think that Connor is a shoe in for the tests. They like his personality. He's obviously on his third tour as well. Um, and I think, you know, in fairness to him, he's very, very experienced. My one thing is that I suppose he has never he's never done it before. It's a big ask for him to go in on a Lions tour and then deal with the media like the media here is extremely friendly compared to uh, media in the UK. It's a completely different experience. It's way more aggressive. It's something I notice having done very little interviews on the Lions tour, but even the few I did. I really noticed it. Um, and I'm sure he will if the tour starts going badly. But look, he the one thing I will say about him is he always steps up to the plate. Any level that he's gone up where I was thinking, geez, I don't know if he's, you know, is he ready for an Irish cap? Is he ready for a Munster cap? Is he ready for a Lions cap? He has always delivered. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders, very calm. Uh, you know, I think he's done well so far in the interviews he's done. And it, it was good to hear him say he's not going to try and change too much because this isn't the time to do that. Uh, he needs to do, you know, what's within his remit and what within, or sorry, what's within his ability to do. I think he'll do that. And I did, I did think it was interesting to hear him say that there was lots of other leaders in the group. I think he'll have to lean on them heavily, um, you know. And I think that they will pitch up. That you know, I, I will say I think Owen Farrell would have been the guy I would have, I would have chosen. But I think form and he's playing in the wrong position. All those things are going against him. So um, it looks like they pick Connor because he's going to be in. So interesting to see how that plays out over the tour. I don't know what you think, Jim, and what the view is from, you know, across the pond. Yeah, I mean, a similar thing, really. I mean, we can only go based on the narrative of the, everyone's lead of the so-called experts, people who are close to the game that understand it, that no one had Connor Murray down as captain or even close to it um, in the lead up to the tour. So that kind of showcases uh, the general consensus of the fact that he has been picked. Also, that, piggybacking what you said about Owen Farrell, 
you know, was Warren Gatlin making noise about that because his form and his leadership credentials have been questioned in the lead up to this tour, even whether he should have went. And when you look across it, actually, um, and reading a few things, like I think the experience goes a long way, doesn't it? He's been there, he's done it, he's been on successful tours, you know, in terms of uh, the, the drawdown in New Zealand. Uh, he's been in successful teams, he's been in, in teams that have been under pressure, he's been injured, he's come back. Um, I think I am a little bit of an old romantic, a little bit old school, that you do need a forward um, as captain, hence why I went for Alan Wynne-Jones in the end. Everyone's speaking about Mauro Toji, you know, where his leadership credentials really, yes, he's a guaranteed starter, but I'm the same as you guys. I didn't have Conor, Conor Murray down as, as cemented in, and I suppose it shows maybe how far we are away from being inside the camp and knowing what Warren Gatlin and the coach is thinking, or how much of a panic it has been for them because <laughs> like, do, do you know what I mean? They've, they've had to name someone like that straight away, right? We're getting on the plane before we get on the plane at the 24 hours after the test match, we need to have a captain. Um, you, you know, surely it can't be as, as kind of panicked as that. So they've come out and said, it's not a big issue. I personally think it could be quite a big issue. Not, you know, not really knowing who the kind of captain and the leader is. You think of all the tours that you've been on before, uh, and the one that you went on and any team, you know, a World Cup, you know, a Six Nations, there's a to- th- th- there's a lead, isn't there? There's someone mm. or there's a couple of people, two or three people where they're almost like they've broken away from the squad. They're the leaders. They're the experienced. They're the drivers. And I'm just looking for the first time in, a, in, in you know, in, in a line on a Lions tour. I'm struggling to look around and be like guaranteed leader leader if Conor Murray goes down who's captain so um it, but it could be a, a flash of brilliance I don't know Conor Murray's a fantastic player I've played against him loads you know I, up until the weekend I was saying to my mates I've never ever seen that bloke charged down on cue commentators curse he gets charged down for the first time I've, I've ever seen it so it's great for him I agree look I, I like the guy he's you know he's, he's smooth he's cool you know he's charismatic and he's a legend of the, a legend of a player. Being captain has its added pressures. Maybe it being in a COVID bubble and there's no fans, it might make that role slightly easier. It's an interesting one because having played with him for a long period of time, like he's kind of he's not quiet when you're in a one-on-one scenario or when you're with the lads. But it's very rare he would be one of those guys piping up in meetings as well. So I just it it just seems like a really odd selection from that. So I mean, is that a problem for you that your captain might be a little bit quiet? Like I know Sam Warburton apparently was a little bit like that too, but is that would that be a problem for you if your captain was maybe not speaking as much, um, maybe just focusing on delivering on the pitch versus actually trying to you know, uh, you know, deliver key messages and meetings and things like that? Yeah, I think for me, like there's there's a couple of types of captains. There's ones, and again, going back to the old school days where you're beating your chest and you you know you're building up that emotion before your Delalios. You know, like I will follow you out there onto the pitch wherever you go. You know, <laughs> then you've got like a Martin Johnson uh, as well, who was quite a quiet guy, but would lead by his actions. I was at Leicester with a guy called Martin Corrie, um, mm. who again was all about like that. You know, give me the ball, I'm going to run over someone. You know, I know Stuart Hogg's captain, he kind of leads by emotion and passion and, and delivering from being at 15, which I think in itself, for me, I wouldn't have a 15 as captain. Brad Barrett at Saracens from the centre was a quiet guy, would lead by actions, but actions in terms of physical actions, first hit, first carry, something physical that that, that puts the presence and puts the fear into the opposition. At scrum half, you're not doing that. 
You know what I mean? You've got to be tactical. You know, you've got to move the forwards around. So again, that kind of goes back to my point where I was surprised that they picked him. But again, who else is there when you look at it? And that's probably the worry going down to this tour is probably the inexperience in the leadership, both in front and behind, because I don't think Owen Farrell will play 12. I think Bundyaki yeah. will play in that position. So It's interesting to say that, Jim, about like the lack of options, because, Luke, I would have thought this decision is a massive kick up the arse for Owen Farrell, considering, as you said, Gatlin name-checked him during the week as the guy who got the most votes. He isn't playing great rugby. He didn't have a good season with England. He was playing in the Championship with Saracens. But Dan Bigger looked really good at the weekend. Himself and Mauro Toji as well would have been the two obvious candidates. I would have thought this was a massive kind of maybe Gatlin trying to inspire the two lads to hit some form because like they were they are the two obvious candidates. If you if you were just looking at it on the names, I would have thought they were the two first names for the captaincy after Alan and Jones were down. Can I be completely honest? I have no idea why Toji's name has been bandied around for a captain. I, I have no well, idea. I've played with him as well, and this and and this narrative around Mauro and around other players that I've played with. Just because you're a great player and just because you do these headline things and you've got a big social media following, it doesn't mean that you're, you're captain. It's very different things, as you know. And he's it's a second I, I, Sorry, I just feel like he's he's the kind of guy who could be ready for that in three or four years' time. Like, he's off the back of a pretty difficult Six Nations. I thought he was really sloppy throughout. Uh, we know he's a great player, but it looks to me like all the Saracens guys have really struggled for form. And that's a really big jump up that they've had to make to international level from playing, you know, championship. No disrespect. Um, but it's quite clear that none of them were, were playing well. That fed into the English team. So I would say their focus is definitely, I think it's probably a good thing for Farrell that he doesn't have to focus on it. He can focus on his form. What I would say is I I just hope they don't pick him at 12. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant 10. Like I heard, uh, we I had an interesting debate with Shane Horgan on, 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 um, on Saturday after the match. We were talking about, you know, Farrell being physical. He's a physical 10. He's an okay defender at 12. He survives there, but like he's no he's never going to be a Bundy a key. He's never going to be a Robbie Henshaw in 12 physic physically wise. And basically what I think it happens is I don't think people realize the knock-on effect of playing him at 12 is that you become, yes, he's an okay defender there, but if he's at 10 and you have a good defensive 12 there, or you know, just a very physical 12, you're very strong defensively. If you play him at 12 alongside Ford, alongside Bigger. I would straight away be saying, right, lads, we are running there all day. They're they're okay there. They'll survive, but they're not going to be aggressive over there. They're not going to be turning over any ball in there. I would be saying that straight away for the South African team, Delanda is going to be run down that channel all day. Your eighth's going to be run down that channel all day. I think it's a mistake. So to come back, I know I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. Farrell, it's probably a good thing. I think he was probably the standout candidate for captaincy, but I think he needs to focus on getting in the team. And I think the captaincy thing going over to Connor is probably it's probably a result of him not being in a great position. And as you said, Dan Bigger probably being a nose ahead. He's going to have to play catch-up. But I just can't see anyone else, to Jim's point, that really stands out as captaincy material. Maybe Henderson, but Henderson certainly isn't a guarantee to be in the squad, but he's the only one that has the credentials captaincy-wise. Bar hard. If it was, Yeah, if it was for me, just to kind of finish on this note, personally, having watched him, I'm a big fan of him, and watched him at the weekend and how he controlled the team, even when Owen Farrell came on outside him, was Dan Bigger. His level has gone up now. Like he's one of them players where he's got the bit between his teeth now and said, "Yes, I'm a good player. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the cusp of being a world class player. This is it. This tour at the weekend, I was there pitch side and I was watching him the way like like he meant business, you know. And with with Owen, I agree with you. He looks vulnerable 
in his tackling technique now. He's down, low, looking around, like, you know, as in he's not comfortable in that position and he's second-guessing himself. Obviously, he's got history of going high. He's got history of going high against the South Africans. You know, there were some clips going around social media of some high shots during the champ uh, that they were playing in. So, yeah, it's uh, it's obviously going to be a talking point going through, I think, whether Owen Farrell even makes that test team. Jim, can you maybe give us a bit of an insight into like the Saracens guys generally at the moment? Obviously, going into this season, they were some of the foreign players in the World Rugby. Atoje, Billy Vunapola, Mac Vunapola, Jamie George, Owen Farrell, Elliot Daly. These guys were key parts of that England team who were playing so well. They finished off winning the Six Nations just after COVID. But like, how how big a blow was it just having to be in the championship and not really playing much? Like, you know, Billy Vunapola not even making the tour in the end after you wouldn't have re- said that at the start of the year. Like, what? Where are they at at the moment? Has it been really detrimental to them, you know, playing in the championship this year? I don't think the championship has, no. I think the lead up to being in the championship and everything that kind of happened around that, obviously the shock around the Scotland uh, game, uh, the first game of the Six Nations, and then there's been a massive media spotlight on this England team. There's been a massive media spotlight on Owen Farrell and Eddie Jones as well. And I think... I, I think from the Saracens' perspective, a lot of people are saying, oh, Billy's not informed, shouldn't be in the team. Now, he hears that. He feels that. He's an emotional player. You know, Marrow, I kind of disagree a little bit with you. His, his penalty count has been high, but he's effective in what he does. Do you know what I mean? He's one of the probably the only guys, he's like a Richie McCaw in that sense where you can get away with it just. There's, a, there's not many players that can do that. Jamie George hasn't been at the level. You know, like you said, 18 months ago, two years ago, he would have been a shoe-in to start for the Lions. I'm not too sure that he is now. Uh, Mako as well, he's had his injury problems and it's just not married up for me. I think it shows how important that Saracen's kind of backbone of that England team, uh, how important it is because, you know, there's no surprise really that what Saracen's have been through with a club and the culture and the media and everything that's been questioned around them and the heartbeat of what that England team is, which is the Saracen's guys, then go and have a shock in Six Nations, not just in terms of where they finished, but how they played as well. And then obviously the build-up to the Lions tour and Billy not going, which I think is the right decision. And yeah, I, I think it's been tough for them. It has. And, you know, Owen Farrell for the first time in his career has been questioned around whether or not he's even good enough to play in the England team. Uh, where it hasn't been before, he's, he's captain. He's this, he's the best 10 in the world. So yeah, I think it has caused a few issues. Um, I think that Warren Gatlin watching it would have been gutted as well. You know, you could say that a little bit, maybe around Leinster as well, that they've fallen off slightly from, from where they were. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's weird, isn't it? We're going to a Lions tour, hoping that they can find form as opposed to going into the tour in form. And just to go off topic slightly, just, you know, you're mentioning England there. You know, how crazy do you think it is? You mentioned the Premiership and how great these games were the last couple of weekends. Players like Mark Smith, you know, Alex Dombrandt, you know, guys like that, like Sam Simmons as well with Exeter, who haven't got any luck in with England at all. It seems crazy to me that any Madness. team can just not, not give any of these guys a look in. Like, What's the view on, on the ground in England? Are people very frustrated with that? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And again, I don't know Eddie Jones personally. uh, And it's easy to sit here and say, oh, he should be doing this. He should be doing that. There's no doubt about it that there's an underlying thing around his team selection. But I'll tell you what as well. And, you know, arguably you could say this is a good thing and that not many coaches show. There's a loyalty as well. You, You think about what England did in the World Cup, obviously made the final against South Africa, were phenomenal against New Zealand. 
And he kind of stuck with them guys. When Eddie Jones came in, he stuck with guys like Dylan Hartley and Chris Robshaw. And everyone was saying, look, these guys are done now. And he was like, no, I want to show, for whatever reason, some loyalty. I want to fade these guys out slowly, bring some new guys in. and But they got completely exposed in the Six Nations, didn't they? Um, the players that we've just mentioned there. Um, like I spoke to Warren Gatland over Zoom, did a thing for the Lions thing. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. He said that Marcus Smith is an unbelievable talent. And you could see, he didn't say it, but he was shocked, you know, that he wasn't playing for England. He thinks he'll be the be the, the next 10 for England for the, the next six or seven years. That England team was not picked on form. Now, you think of Sam Simmons, you know, top, top try scorer. Is that a thing? Well, Luke will know. If you're scoring tries, it is the thing, isn't it? Josh Adams the same. It's undeniable. That's the wrong guy. Tries. Yeah, setting up tries. <laughs> setting up Isn't tries. try record. <laughs> yeah, of uh, course. But no, yeah, you're, you're right, up. though. You're right. Like, you have to be doing something right. I, I always say, like, it's never the one barometer for how good a player is. But bloody, it's a great one. If it, if, it, if it's a high, you know, you're kind of saying, well, look, that person's in the right place all the time. They're either reading the game well or whatever it is. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt. But, yeah, it, it's very yeah, important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the issue that we've got for the Lions because if Marcus Smith was playing for England, for example, and he got a year under his belt and he was playing well, you know, he, he could have been in. You know, he could have been in this squad. And, and the fact that it's almost like Warren Gatlin stuck two fingers up to Eddie and said, look, mate, I'm picking Sam Simmons. You know, and it's the right decision. He's not doing it because he's sticking two fingers up. He's, pick, he, he's picking Sam Simmons because he has been absolutely phenomenal. Like, as in not just a decent Prem player, at the back of these malls and the back of the rooks picking and going. He's been blasting through tackles, his appetite to work, his speed. His fi- so, you know, and, and this is the thing with Warren Gatland. Now, we we can think about these different picks. Adam Beard goes, you know, everyone's like, well, what about Johnny Gray? What about, I know James Ryan's got a little bit of a knock. Um, you know, Bundyaki, how's he going? You know, how's Ringrose not going? Like all, all these things that are unfolded. And when you look at it, the decision that Gatlin's made in years gone by, whether or not Lukey believes it or I believe it, and he should have picked me in, in 2013, he shouldn't have dropped O'Driscoll. He's right. In these decisions that he's made, his history points to the fact that he makes big decisions. He He's not here to please us. He's not here to please his mates. He's not here to please players. He has solely got in his mind what players he thinks will win a series um, in South Africa this year. Mm. And from an Irish perspective, Luke, you know, the weekend we talked about it last week that, you know, you can't probably play yourself out, but, or sorry, you can't probably play yourself in right away, but you could maybe play yourself out if you don't go well in week one. All the Irish guys seem to be in a much better position now than they were before that Japan game. Yeah, I actually, you know, I was I was really impressed with uh, Ian Henderson had, look, he'd, he'd won um, bad uh, kind of defensive error for the, I, I'm not even going to try and attempt the. His second name, the the break off the off the line out, uh, Japanese guy with the blondie hair. I, I, it's it, his name. Matsushima, is it? Yeah, Matsushima. Sorry, Matsushima. No, is it? I, I had on the weekend. I was, I was there. Stuck. He's the only one that I know. But <laughs> in fairness, he was unbelievable all day. But that was the one defensive error I thought uh, Henderson made made, which is my one area of concern with him. Um, but I thought he was brilliant all day. He was a bit of a surprise package. Ty Byrne was brilliant. I think Warren, like Warren Gatlin's convinced on him. Uh, I think he might be in the, in pole position for that sixth slot. I think he matches up well with Peter Steph Detoy. Um, Ty Furlong, we all know. But it'd be interesting to see if Kyle Sinclair now he's on the tour, you know, whether he can 
you know, shake up that. I think we're all pretty convinced that it's going to be tight. And I'd say we're probably right at this stage, but Kyle Sinclair's a serious rugby player. So uh, watching that space closely and Robbie and I think um, Bundy look like they're in pole position for the centres, depending on what kind of game they, they want to play. They were very strong defensively, some good turnovers, um, and they showed some good stuff going forward as well. So I think the Irish guys did pretty well. The only guy who I felt actually was kind of a little mixed, and this is going to sound pretty weird, but I actually thought Connor was a little bit mixed. Uh, you know, he had a few errant kicks, you know, there was guys in commentary saying, oh, that's a good kick, but it was it was kicked into the, you know, 22, it was caught in the full, there was one out in the full, uh, there was one block down, which Dan Bigger read brilliantly and covered his ass. Um, so, yeah, I, I was a little bit, I wasn't as convinced by his performance as, as everyone else. But look, I think he's actually come into some form like under the radar. People haven't really given him credit for it. He was brilliant in that English match. And I expect him to kind of get stronger as the tour goes on and the team kind of gels um, you know, I think he, he'll get better. And obviously he's the captain now, so he's going to be playing more than likely. So, look, it was a good weekend for us. Uh, Tyke Byrne, definitely the standout, uh, you know, candidate in my mind. I don't know what Jim thinks about, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about the Scottish guys, but the Irish guys, first of all, from our listeners, would be mad keen to hear your views on that. Oh, mate, I'm a huge fan of Tyke Byrne, huge fan uh, mm. of him. Uh, the question was, could he step up to Ireland, which he obviously did? Um, could he... You know, the turnovers, you know, his work rate off the ball, his carrying ability. We saw in the Six Nations he could. Then the big question was, are we getting a bit carried away? You know, can he step up to the Lions? We all had him as a shoe in to go. And yeah, I thought he grew into that game. There was obviously one error in that game with the offload uh, that he went for, which was, you know, it was, shows probably his confidence. But yeah, I think he's a special kind of player. His size, he kind of ma- matches up with what Gatlin likes with having like a Courtney Laws or a Mauro Toji playing six. Gives you a completely different option in his carrying ability. So, huge fan of his, always have been. Really like Henderson. So, when the tour was being announced, um, I put Henderson in last minute and took James Ryan out because um, Henderson was back fit. You know what he, you know what you get with him. He's physical. He's hard. Uh, the, the standout player from an Irish perspective was Robbie Henshaw, just defensively. And again, I'm no expert, but. Yeah, you know, when you're at the stadium and you're not commentating, you've got a much better perspective on things. Middle of the pitch, just watching how it how it flows, not just his collisions, which are obviously standout, but the way that he's rushing out the line and he's, he's and I know it's only Japan. No disrespect to them, it's going to be different against South Africa. But as you know, uh, Luke, that the, the centres are so important in terms of what's going to be uh, faced with them with Delande and the forwards coming down that channel, and then not also. They're being caught up, but trying to get space and, tr- and trying to get width. I agree on Conor Murray. I've not seen him charge down before. I'm sure he has been. Um, I thought Ali Price looked brilliant when he came on, and people, oh, he's all over Ali Price. But I did. I thought he looked good in the team that was actually going back. You know, w- w- when he came on. So Ty Fur- um, Furlong's in at the minute. Sinclair was good when he came on. Looked physical in the tackles. I know we're going full on ruggers here, um, but I think from an Irish perspective, it's obviously. Um, you know, you've got a backbone of that team there um, who are, who are shoeings, in my opinion. Yeah, and Conan is like, oh, I mean, hopefully Conan's injury isn't too bad, you know. That's the only thing. I was going to say, too. I was literally about to say, but out of all of them, Jack Conan, you talk about some of these lads will get one opportunity, right? One, maybe two, one off the bench, and it's like, here you go. Like, this is it. You're probably not going to be in, but if you do something spectacular, you look amazing, we're going to think about you. Jack Conan was that man. 
for me. Yeah, like number eight is a really interesting one, Luke. So it's obviously you have Jack Cohn, who started the, the, the tour very well. Sam Simmons, who is coming from the Premiership final, so a very truncated build-up. And then uh, Tulupe Falatel, who... He was very poor, Will. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't play with him again, but he's, as I said, we said before, one of Gatlin's go-to he's guys. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you weigh that up? I think it's a great opportunity for Cohen and potentially Simmons to, to, to emerge from the pack and get ahead of um, Falato. There is. So hopefully that injury, I don't know, it seemed like he picked up a knock. The Lions finished with seven guys on the pitch because yeah, Cohen said it was precautionary. So hopefully. Well, that's good. Yeah. So look, that's that's good for him. I think he got off to a good start. There was one error maybe with the, it was actually a lovely bit of play, but he got caught just as he was about to pass. He drew in a guy, went to the outside of a, of a Japanese defender, drew in someone on the short side in the first half. And the ball got knocked out of his hands. But you could see he's a good footballer and he was very physical around the pitch. Uh, it looked like Falate hadn't played rugby in a while to me. So I'm thinking he'll get stronger as the tour goes on. But it's where do you get the opportunities, as Jim said. You might have one or two. I feel like he's, he was the guy going into it where you're saying, OK, he's one of Gatlin's guys. So he's probably going to, you know, he's a nose ahead before everyone starts. But I think he's back in the pack now. Uh, you know, I thought when I saw... When I saw uh, Conan having to go to six, I was thinking mm, that's not very helpful for him. Uh, you know, and Falato gets another chance to show, you know, why he's been on the tour. But he was poor defensively and he made a few sloppy errors in attack as well. So uh, interesting to watch that space. And, you know, we've been listening, obviously, to the to the rugby pod guys talk about Sam Simmons for forever and ever. Uh, I think we were a little bit disappointed in the Leinster game. He was fairly quiet and Leinster managed him very well. Um but you can certainly see, I mean, the, on the hard tracks in South Africa, I mean, that is built for him. It's a physical game out there. He could be a guy that could really light things up and could be the kind of bolter on the tour. So don't know what Jim thinks about that. Uh, that'll probably be my view on, on, on that one. I think it was a good weekend for Conan and for the Irish guys. Yeah, I think you've got to go for size, haven't you? That's, you know, when you look at how you beat South Africa, it's about having size. I know that's a very superficial thing to say. But I'm going to throw it out there. I don't think Sam Simmons is big enough to start. You know, in terms of what's going to be coming down the channel, you're not going to get these opportunities really close to the line like a lot of teams do. It's going to be set pieces. It's going to be weight in the scrum. It's going to be weight in the maul. It's going to be them tight channels. You know, if you go for a tie burn at six and, you know, a Falatau or a Conan, you know, I think that that seven position, could you play Sam Simmons in that? Well, with a Tom Curry or a Hamish Watson, you've got that. I think Sam Simmons is more a guy that, you know, you're chasing the game or whatever you want to bring on, you want something, a break or whatever. But it is that's what, when you've got an embarrassment of riches in the back row, I suppose that's the joy of it. But Falatau does seem to be his man. Obviously, the tour in 2017, he was sensational. I know it's four years ago. Uh, he's come into a bit of form with Bath, but he's big. You know, he's a big bloke. Um, and I know it's kind of, it's easy to say, you know, Billy Vanapole is a big bloke, but Falatau has been effective. But I, I agree with you on the fact that I think he's now come back into the pack. Guys like Conan, obviously Sam Simmons will see him get an opportunity as well. Uh, it'd be great to see what Hamish Watson can do in that back row and obviously Tom Curry. And then we'll maybe, you know probably be able to make a better kind of decision on what we think the makeup will be. Yeah, Curry's excellent. You know, big, big guy, very physical. He matches up really well. But it's whether Gatling kind of wants to play that game. Like when we were there in 2009, the last time, we had basically a ball and play target. So anything over, I think, was... 38 or 39 minutes in the game he felt like you know once you got the ball in play for that period of time or over that period of time your chances of winning against South Africa went way up so we were trying to keep the ball in play as much as possible trying to tire out their big guys not give them those targets as you say um but there's challenges in that I mean if they do get to slow the game down uh, on the high belt kicking the ball along um you know that becomes a big challenge if you don't have the weight in there so we watch how that uh, you know unfolds 
through the tour. But uh, certainly, you know, if, if they do play a fast game plan and ball in hand for long periods of time, try and tire out the South Africans, Simmons, I mean, that's built for him. So, yeah, interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, Jim, and just before we let you go, and again, thanks very much for joining us and giving us some of your time. Uh, which player who who hasn't played yet are you most excited to see or most interested to see what they can do when they get out there in a Lions jersey? Oh, you, you might have to hit me with some that I, I don't that I, that I don't mention. But Hamish Watson... Hoggy is Hoggy's obviously a shoe in at this stage, but I mean... Oh, I don't know. Mate, he's he's been, start, he's... Jimmy didn't start for Exeter in the semi-order, no. which, is, which was very strange, I thought. No, that's the thing. And I Hoggy had one bad game against Sale uh, in, the, in, the, in the game before the semi-final where they played Sale again and got dropped for Jack Knoll, who was phenomenal, actually, in both the semi and the final. Um... But Hoggy's been a player that mid Six Nations, straight after the Six Nations, gone back to Exeter and put in some unbelievable performances. You know, this spiral bomb kick, uh, mm. his counter-attacking's come back. You just wonder mentally how he is, having been dropped for the two biggest games of the season for Exeter. So obviously Hoggy, but we kind of know what you're getting with Hoggy. You know he's going to be world-class. It's more the guys that haven't really been given the opportunity to kind of step up to that level. Hamish Watson, obviously for his size, is, is phenomenal in the carry. He's very similar to Sam Simmons, mm. arguably a little bit more power. Finn Russell, you know, for me, I don't think Owen Farrell is competing with Bigger and Russell. And it was weird. I was with Shane Williams at, at the weekend watching the game and I was like, ah, oh, you know, Bigger, phenomenal. And he was obviously agreeing with me because he was. And I could see and I asked him, I said, would you prefer to play with Finn? And he was kind of saying, yeah, because of what he can do to get the balls into the wider channels with Duan van der Merwe, Lewis Rees-Samet, um, obviously Josh Adams, like, because he's that kind of player, just by his, just by being able to do make something out of nothing. Whether or not they choose to play it like that, I, who knows? So I think for me, Finn Russell, Hamish Watson, um, who else have we not seen that was... Uh, Lewis Rees-Samet. Exactly. You know, for, for this young lad, he has not played in front of fans for international. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know it was interesting. A few of our guys were saying the same thing, like um, Hugo Keenan, our fullback. His family have never seen him play. They've never been in the stadium to see him play an international. So, yeah, I mean, he looks like he, he's a ready-made superstar, that guy. I mean, he's got so much gas. Uh, matches up pretty good with the likes of a Colby, but um, he looks, I mean, I don't know about, look, whatever with the Lions guys, I don't know if you saw the drop kick by Colby in the in the Bouclier mm -hmm. final. Like, the guy's sensational. There's nothing he can't He's the best do. player in the world, isn't he? You'd be really? shitting yourself playing against him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I would be mad. He'd be the, your worst nightmare because he can do it all. Uh, excited to see how, how he kind of fits in. I think we know what we get with him, but I mean, be nervous, uh, you know, uh, playing against him. The likes of, you know, Watson hasn't played. We saw a little bit of him on the weekend, um, but there's certainly, uh, you know, I, 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 do you know what? Actually, I didn't think Liam Williams had a great game. He was a bit scrappy defensively. He was a bit kind of made a few poor decisions and put the team under pressure, but I would have him as a shoe in of the team. So, uh, interesting to hear you saying saying about Hoggy. Uh, I would have thought Chewing because you know the ga the, you know, the pace, uh, that cannon of a left foot. Um, he didn't start though in 2017, yes. did he? Yes. So yes. like he likes Liam Williams. I agree. Liam Williams for me is one of them guys that is like the top of world class. Nice class. So when it comes, to, yeah, when it comes to the big games, you know what he did down in New Zealand. I saw him play a little bit for Saracens in some big games for Wales. He's just one of them guys that makes it look so easy. He's, yeah, I agree. Didn't wasn't his best game at the weekend, but he's just for me. He's the guy in position. Whether or not you, you know you can obviously play him on the wing as well, um, as it stands. Mm. Hmm. Well, a lot of interesting selection debates to be had over the next couple of weeks. For the moment, Jim, thanks so much for joining us.
Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.